Hello and welcome back. It is episode four of the Masters Swimming Podcast. As ever, I am your host, Joe Malone, and I am very pleased to be so indeed. Thank you to everybody who has listened to the podcast so far and to those who have joined the Facebook group. If you'd like to join it, just search the Masters Swimming Podcast on Facebook and hit join. So, have you ever wondered what it must be like to be a world record holder? Well, my guest today is living that very dream. With three new world records set in just the last few weeks, it's safe to say Helen Gorman of City of Cardiff Swimming Club is flying. Helen, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to uh, have a new Masters Swimming podcast kind of on the block. So, uh, yeah, thanks for everything you're doing to help promote Masters Swimming. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Uh, so you set a world record in the 200 metres breaststroke in the 50s, 54 age category at the British Masters Championships in Aberdeen last month. You then followed that up by setting short course world records in the 100 and 200 breaststroke at the Barnet Cop Tour Masters distance meet earlier this month. It's been quite a few weeks for you, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it has. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and I had a virus in the middle of that. I got ill after uh, Aberdeen. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit, uh, a bit mad, really. Blimey. So let's talk about your 200 breaststroke at the British Masters Championships then. You swam that in a time of uh, 244.66. Were you confident going into that race that you'd set a new record? Um, well, I, the record at the start of the year was 250, um, which was definitely, you know, all through lockdown, um, any of those two years of not much going on I, I I had that record in my mind thinking well I, I know I can do that I just need to stay fit um all through this um and um so I got that record in March I went at 248 um which I wasn't you know I was happy it's all record but for me that wasn't a great swim um okay. but it's you know it's a stepping stone um and then Aberdeen I was, it was the next kind of opportunity to have a go at that. And I had swum a 2.46 of an age group race at Easter um, and then again in May. So, I, you know, I went to Aberdeen and sort of stood behind the block and thought, well, all I have to do is replicate what I've just done three weeks ago uh, and then try and go 2.46. May, you know, maybe I'll go a 2.45 um, and then I'll get the record. And then um, the morning before the race, I got up, had breakfast, and then I kind of went, you know, went and had a little lie down. I had this ridiculous dream that I went 2.43.8. <laughs> and then I got to the point, I was like, I'm really disappointed if I only go 2.46 here. I, 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 I kind of want to go faster. Um, so I was kind of laughing at myself that I was basing my objectives on some stupid, like, half awake, half asleep dream. And then um, swam and saw 2.44 on the clock and was um, actually pretty shocked. So, yeah. yeah. Was, what 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 a feeling! What a feeling that must have been um, to to then go and get a few more world records just literally a couple of weeks later. And like you say, you had a virus in the middle of that. Um, have you changed the way that you train in order to achieve these things? No, not at all. Um, I got back into swimming when I was forty, um, so sort of ten years ago, um, and I've been at City of Cardiff five years. Um, and I'd say the first six months of that was adapting to the way they trained. So mostly it's an age group program i'm training with teenagers um there are a couple of older swimmers there a few uni students a couple of master swimmers as well um so it took me a while to get used to that and then i had a difficult sort of challenging couple of years with sort of family illnesses and lots going on my mum died um and then we went into lockdown so you know i had swum a 244 in 2019 but that was in an age group race so that time doesn't show anywhere as a record um, so I've done that time a few times, but um, 
to kind of be able to do it coming out of lockdown was, um, I guess it was affirmation that all that time training in my back garden um, and all the things that I did in lockdown did actually keep me fit. Um, but, you know, it's a great program in Cardiff. We've got, um, you know, really great coaches. I've four different coaches looking at what I'm doing. Um, I, I'm swimming with people that are quicker than me all the time. So, you know, I'm not walking into the pool and thinking about world records. I'm just thinking about survival most of the time. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and, and it's, I, I actually, I don't look at it necessarily as world records. I look at it as season's best or post-COVID best times. And it's just looking for that progression. And I think, I think that's important in Masters because you are getting older and you're not going to keep getting quicker, but you can always do a season's best or, you know, you can do the best time you've done for a few years. So 2.44 for me was the best I've done since 2019, but, you know, we didn't swim in 2020 or 2021 really. So, um, yeah, I'm just kind of back where I was before lockdown. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great mindset as well to not let it get to your head and think, oh, look at me, I'm the world record holder, to actually just see it as a season's best, but you're still focused, you've still got more things that you want to achieve. That's that's brilliant. Um, yeah. j- just just speaking about the training, and, and I know you said that your training hasn't necessarily changed, but I'm quite intrigued to know, um, what's a champion's diet like? I mean, do you follow a specific diet to age of training, or do you just generally eat healthy, wholesome food? Um, well, when I got back in swimming originally, um, I was I was fit because I'd been doing lots of crazy things like cycling the stages of Tour de France and doing half Ironman triathlons and you know I was fit but I wasn't swim training fit and, you know and I ro- I rocked up and thought um, you know I'm, I'm going to do okay here but swimming for two hours in a hot pool full of teenagers is actually really hard yeah, um, yeah. and I I couldn't survive much longer than an hour without getting quite bad cramp I mean I wouldn't ever tell anyone I got cramp I just keep going but um, and then I, I was getting quite a few illnesses as well. Um, so I eventually um, actually employed someone to look at my diet and make suggestions. Um, and it, it's kind of age related. So I would probably eat differently to a younger swimmer. Um, and you know, a younger swimmer can just live on bread and pasta. And that's what I lived on when I was a teenage swimmer. But um, you can't eat like that when you're older if you want to perform. So I've just finished my plate of asparagus and eggs for breakfast and that's that's normal. That's that's every day. I eat green vegetables. I'm eating uh, asparagus, leeks, spinach, etc. Um, protein. I did have a bit of sourdough toast with it. Um, but so the, the volume of carbs goes down and the amount of green veg that you're eating, that's kind of the key takeaway from what he got me to do and also hydration like as you get older you do you can't afford to get dehydrated because you will get cramp um and it um the difference was immediate I mean within weeks uh, I I lost a bit of weight I was a lot leaner um and I started swimming a heck of a lot quicker as well so uh, it's a pretty big commitment to lifestyle outside of the pool and eating's a big part of that and I, and I do drink alcohol but you're talking about one glass of wine three four times a week maybe um yeah yeah and maybe a bit more on a saturday because i'm not swimming on a sunday but then if you're racing that's gone so yeah that's that's really interesting and i love that you actually invested in yourself there to to try and improve because as you said earlier on you 
this is just a season's best view. You're not necessarily seeing it as a world record. We're all getting older. We're perhaps all getting slower. Not 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 for everybody. Some people are getting faster. But I love that you still have that seriousness, you know, for swimming in your mind that you really want to draw down. That's that's fantastic. It wasn't a big investment. I think I paid the guy about seventy-five pounds, and I just sent him a food diary, and he sent me. Uh, some suggestions back um, and it did include some supplements but um, I've got rid of all of those now I mean I don't I don't I take hydration tablets I think they're massive for swimming and you can buy them there's loads of brands doing them um, so you lose a lot of salt when you're swimming so I have a hydration tablet every single day and at a swim meet that hot sweaty environment um, there's a guy I train with uh, Don Waldridge um, at Cardiff is a doctor and he did a bit of research into uh, exactly how much salt you lose on a poolside and he was blown away so wow. we were going up to Aberdeen and he was desperate to get a hold of these things so I did give him a tube of it but um, yeah that, that's massive um, and I think it, it's you know it's more important than you you have to keep your energy level up but sitting around a poolside consuming loads of carbohydrate probably is not going to help you you need to have fueled correctly before the meat and then know what snacks you stomach can handle but it's about hydration really yeah i completely agree interesting point as well that you made about supplements because i'm somebody i've, I've always hit the gym you know most of my most of my teens and 20s and I, and I really enjoy it you know love strength training love swimming obviously played football lots as well and the amount of money over the years i've spent on protein powder creatine yeah i, I, I decided to stop it all about a year ago and i did that to be honest with you in a little bit of fear thinking oh my god well but what about what i train and i don't it's made no difference really? not not having protein because i eat well and i eat good proteins yeah. i you know it, it literally makes no difference. So I've, I've still progressed in the gym. I've progressed in the pool. You know, I, I'm not saying that supplements have no place for, you know, because of course that there will be some benefits to it, but I really do think they're overhyped, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Uh, and that, obviously that's just my, my opinion. I did, um, I did. I worked at British Triathlon for 10 years. I was very lucky to travel around the world with the Brownlee brothers and, and lots of, um, you know, there's top athlete and British triathlon team was phenomenal. And, it was an amazing opportunity because I'd sit around at dinner and I would sit next to the nutritionist and the next day I'd speak to the uh, the psychologist and the physiology people and the you know the physiotherapy and actually try and learn from those people and yeah. and I have done I haven't finished it but I have done part of a nutrition course myself and I'd say the one obviously hydration tabs I think are really important for swimming but protein powders are do have a place in swimming and, and I don't use them very often but um um, maybe for sort of bigger male swimmers I think getting lean protein in quickly after a workout an intensive workout it, it depends on your lifestyle I think you know they definitely can be very important um but yeah I definitely recommend people get their own advice I, I just I think master swimming we've all we've all got different training history we've got different backgrounds we've got different lives and I think you know there's no one answer to suit one person um but I you know I'm not wasting my money on loads of supplements anymore and I certainly have wasted money on them in the past it's just I think if you're doing the right training and eating good wholesome nutrition then you don't need to spend money um you're not going to get your extra one percent or your edge from spending however much money on a supplement um but you know maybe the guys at elite level that are getting it all researched for them at British I mean that's a different matter but I think there's much more there's much more there's many more free gains that you can make than reaching for the ones that cost money yeah i think marginal gains at the top level 
certainly have a place but perhaps more our you know um slap bang to reality and master swimming that's that's probably a different story um so i want to jump right back now to your mid to late 20s that was when you first set a, a record in 200 meters breaststroke in the 25 to 29 category you must have been close to representing great britain around that sort of time is that something that you'd hoped to have done yeah, I mean, I swam, um, I swam at Nova Centurion um, and Bill Furness, who's the current GB head coach, was my coach. Um, yeah, I got very close. I think I was like the near miss person. I got third at Commonwealth Games trials. I was fourth at Olympic trials. Um, I did go to two World University Games. Um, so I did swim for GB there and uh, and again, just missed out, finished fourth, didn't get a medal. Um, but yeah, I kind of... I did swim at that level. Um, I was winning medals at British Senior Champs. Um, and I went to Masters because Bill would make all of the 25-plus swimmers in the squad go and swim Masters because Sheffield had only just been yeah. built at that point. Um, it was only an hour up the road from us. He was from Sheffield, so he'd love it if he could send us to Sheffield. Um, but, yeah, we used to go because it was, for us, you know, October is an early season opportunity to go and race um, in a great pool. Um, and actually, he he understood the value in someone setting a British, European or world record or going off to World Masters and, and winning. So Roland Lee, um, I trained with him. Uh, he went to the 92 Olympics. Yeah. Um, and not long after that, he went off to Indianapolis and won World Masters. And, you know, I think he, um, as, you know, as a squad, we definitely all understood what Masters were. And, and so me getting that um, couple of world records on the 200 breasts, it was two years running. That was kind of early season, right? You're going to go up and try and swim quite quick in heavy training. Um, and um, yeah, I just turned up. I absolutely loved it. Everyone was really friendly. Um, people were coming over and asking me, you know, was I going to come back and do more masters? And um, if I enjoyed being there, yeah, it was um, a really good experience. Yeah. yeah. You then stopped swimming from the age of 28 to the age of 40. You had one little flutter when you were 38 and casually set a European record. Um, it, had you burnt out from swimming a little bit and just felt like you needed a break? Um, I didn't want to have a break. I love swimming and I kind of want to swim for the rest of my life until, uh, you know, if I, if I can be half as fit and agile as Jane Asher when I'm her age, you know, at 91, yeah, that's not I think, you know, I, uh, you know, just looking at her as a, a 91-year-old with that much vitality, it's just phenomenal, let alone what she does in the pool. Um, yeah. So to stay that healthy is the goal. But, um, yeah, I mean, I had glandular fever, um, which wasn't – in glandular fever can avoid being detected quite easily. Um, and then that turned into chronic fatigue, and I was really quite unwell. Um, so I, I didn't – I wasn't able to do anything for quite a long time. And I would try really hard um, – it was actually, um, I'd started working by then, and it was actually a, a woman called Goldie Sayers, who's now finally got an Olympic bronze medal um, after being fourth in Beijing and got an upgrade. She actually told me some supplements to try because I just could not recover. And that was five years down the line. Um, so I've just said not taking supplements, but then I'm saying take supplements. So, But that was something specific to do with illness that had helped her and it helped me. So, yeah, I'd gone through sort of five years of, trying every single sport under the sun and not really ever progressing because I couldn't put I couldn't put a block of training together but I did eventually then do triathlon and cycling and a bit of open water and lots of other random things like five-a-side football and touch rugby and 
things like that that I was pretty rubbish. I played water polo actually. I loved water polo. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I know. I, I never, I never did nothing, but um, I, I, it wasn't practical for me to try and carry on swimming at the level I was at. So I had to do something different. Yeah, 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 sure, yeah, sure. So, so you kind of came back properly to swimming around the age of 40. By this point, the fire must have been in your belly, having had all of those years away. You you must have been absolutely chomping at the bit to get to get back into it. Uh, t- to be honest, um, I, I came back to it because I'd done a couple of half Ironmans and, and I got to 40 and, I, and my office was above a triathlon shop. And it's just the norm that if you're 40th, you do an Ironman. And I just didn't just didn't fancy it. I, I just don't fancy running a marathon after all that cycling and swimming. Yeah, I just, of it's not playing to my strengths at all. And I hadn't, my swimming had really dropped off. I'd done a couple of kind of club champs events and not swum well, not felt good in the water. Um, you know, just turning up having not really trained doesn't work. Um, so I decided that I needed to join a swimming club to sort my swimming out for for my triathlon. Um, and I'd also looked at the British records and thought, actually, I can have a go at some of these. Um, but once I joined, I joined Long Eaton Swimming Club in Derbyshire um, once you kind of get kind of settled in and you meet people, you've got new friendships. I really like the routine of going training. Um, it was really good for me because it stopped me staying in the office till half ten at night. Uh, yeah. You do any work for yourself. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. And, you know, once you've broken a couple of records, you're kind of like, actually, this is this is this is um, I'm actually I'm doing well at this and I'm enjoying it. So I'll stick with it. So Yeah, I, sa- I said this in the first podcast, I think. In, in the first episode that I, I was a junior swimmer not to any great level at all we I swam for a very small club you probably know it actually Helen it's Belper Marlins in yeah, Derbyshire well, yeah. Uh, yeah and um so, yeah, quite well as well he's a good master swimmer who's that sorry uh Mike uh, Mike Robert. Brett yeah, yeah he was yeah. He, he was my coach he was my coach that's funny uh, yeah he was yeah so um so but I only swam three four times a week probably probably four times a week um so never got to any great level I left at 18 when I went to university, played loads of football, um, probably probably loved football more than I loved swimming, uh, big football fan as well. Did that for sort of five years, then got my first um, job, moved away from Derbyshire. And I think, I, again, I said this in the first episode, so apologies for repeating myself, but I, I decided to go for a, a public swim and I happened to go at the same time as RTW Masters had half a pool. And I just did a few lengths and I just thought, I fancy a bit of this. So I, I jumped in and I joined them the next week. And I love swimming now more than I ever have. And going to the Nationals, it's the it's my favourite competition I've ever done. Yeah. Way more so than when I was a junior. So I love that master swimming can drag you back in. The way that it dragged you back in, the way that it dragged me back in. Uh, and, and you can just love it like you've never loved it before. It's brilliant. Yeah. What's it like? What's it like swimming for a junior club then? They must they must keep you on your toes. Oh, yeah, they do. I mean, they, they, they don't. I think they, they know how old I am, particularly this year, because obviously they can see my age group written written down next to things that I've done and, and it's always on the it's always on meet mobile the app um it's got your age on there so they know how old I am but I, I don't I don't think they see age they just see what order we need to be in in the lane and um who's leading what and you know they don't the age is kind of irrelevant um I think um once you've got your hat and goggles on I don't I don't think it makes much difference if I was getting in their way then they'd be annoyed but um I'm not so um, no that sounds good so what are final question what are your goals from here on in do, do you want to keep trying to get faster setting more records or are you just happy to roll with it and see how you get on 
Um, I, I think one of the things the pandemic's maybe taught us is not to try and plan too far in advance. Um, and I think as you get older, like, you know, you don't really know. You don't know what's around the corner. Um, so at the moment, I've just I've got a couple of weeks of the season left. I'm not going to Europeans, but I'm doing British uh, summer champs in a relay, so to Cardiff, and then Welsh summer champs as well. Um, and then I'm off on holiday. So I, I usually, I kind of, I always, I've always thought the year starts in September and finishes in August, and that's kind of when I do my my planning. Obviously, it's World Masters next year in Japan, which will be an expensive trip, but. Um, potentially look at that because the next few world masters after that I, I, I won't go to Doha um, for political reasons more than anything um, sure. don't particularly want to get arrested um, and uh, hopefully Kazan would move uh, hopefully Doha will get moved anyway I don't see the I don't see why you would have a world masters in in summer 2023 and another one in in February yeah 2024 I think that's ridiculous um so I don't know. I, I'll, I guess I'll look, um, and I'd like to stay at City of Cardiff for another year if they'll have me. Um, I really, really, genuinely enjoy training, um, and I enjoy the fitness and lifestyle aspects of doing that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't think too far ahead, and I think that's partly a product of you know my sister had triple negative breast cancer twice, and you know, she's fine now, but. Um, I'm not going to start planning what I'm doing when I'm 55 or 60. So, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a good approach. Well, whatever you do, plan uh, whether it's short term or long term, uh, and no matter what you achieve from now on in, you are an absolute champion. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Adam. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, Joe, and uh, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you at, at nationals in Sheffield. And now for part two, and I'm joined by Graham Wardle, uh, Helen's coach at City of Cardiff. Uh, Graham, thanks for coming on the podcast. I believe I've managed to catch you between poolside coaching, so I appreciate you uh, giving me the time. No, that's that's great. Always a pleasure to talk about swimming. It's one thing I love to talk about. Excellent. Um, so City of Cardiff, it, it's predominantly a junior club, uh, but you've got lots of different squads that train a different number of hours each week, right up to the performance squad, which I believe train 18 hours a week. Is that's that right? Great. Yeah, that's correct. I think we've got 13 squads, yeah. 13 squads. Do you have, roughly how many swimmers do you have? Uh, it's just approaching 390, 400, something like that at the moment. We just worked really hard post-pandemic to try and build our membership. We were about 300 pre-pandemic. So we've worked really hard since then, um, trying to get some more water time, just trying to build numbers, you know. So, uh, yeah, we're pro- approaching 400 now, I think. So it's been, a, it's been a good couple of years. And how many coaches uh, are there involved? Obviously, there's yourself and how many more? So we have two others who are full-time, another two who are like what I call extended part-time, and then about four volunteer coaches as well. So but we really rely on great people. We really, really rely on them to take some of our younger squads. Excellent. So obviously, of all of those swimmers that you have, um, Helen is obviously part of the part of the club, and I believe there are a couple of other masters as yeah, well. Yeah, no, Helen's one of our, our valued master swimmers. We've got three in total. If you like, I call them our, our, our older swimmers, who uh, if you like, who are, who are post twenty five, post twenty six, who have full time jobs and are trying to look at you know balancing very high level swimming. Um, I call it career, although it's only obviously a bit, a bit of fun for them. But they um, they look to balance that around their work commitments, and it's something we've been really keen to do in Cardiff because it also would actually Helen first approached me um, maybe about four or five years ago, or more than that, six years ago. She was swimming with the masters group, but uh, traditionally a lot of masters groups 
um, only swim maybe four times a week or five times a week. And Helen was looking for something a little bit more than that. She wanted a bit more um, technical input. She wanted something that's going to be a bit more of a coordinated plan for her. She was looking for something she felt was going to really push her to to achieve high things because um, I think certainly where she was swimming, there was probably fewer um, high-level swimmers in the master's programme. So she felt that by maybe coming down and swimming with the kids, she'd be able to, to get the competition she wanted and it would encourage her and, and if you like, help her achieve her ambitions in swimming. So, um, yeah, so we looked at kind of blended approach for her. So she does um, a number of things by herself. She goes to the gym by herself. She does some workouts by herself. She um, does an apartment in um, Lanzarote. So she goes across for weeks at a time and do like a, if you like a warm weather training camp by wow. herself just to just to, just to get a, a long course meters in just to get herself back in shape and stuff so it's very much a kind of blended approach and then she works really hard and she'll come about you know six seven sessions a week depending on work commitments that's fantastic what's her what's her influence from your perspective her influence on the other swimmers especially obviously the junior swimmers what's it like for them to have a world record holder in their club it's well it's in some ways it's it's huge in some ways it's not because they very much see it as just another just another swimmer and it's only when you, you know she mentions something that happened in the 80s and these kids are born in like you know 2010 and they're kind of like <laughs> the 80s what like what was that sort of thing but um they very much just see her as a swimmer they don't see her as her age because um she's just someone who gets in the lane alongside them and pushes them and you know works really hard and, you know so in that way they they kind of recognize her as one of them but also She's an inspiration for them because, you know, she's never stopped swimming. So she's the age she is now. And I won't mention that because I'm a gentleman. Uh, but, <laughs> she, but she um, has never stopped swimming. And I think for kids to realize that, you know, swimming can be a lifelong sport for you. And it doesn't need to stop when you leave school and you go to work. It doesn't need to stop when you finish college and you, and you have to go to work. Is that if you really want to do it, there are ways and means. And, you and you know, you might not make the Olympic team, but but there are ways and means of managing a really successful career and, and achieving some really great things in swimming around you know, full-time work, you know, and it all depends on the person you are. And I think, you know, someone like Helen, the other uh, athletes we have, uh, Chris Jones, Dominic, they're, they're very, um, very self-driven. They, you know, they set themselves high goals, but they are very self-driven. And I think you've got to really want to do it and you've got to love it. I mean, Helen loves swimming. She loves everything about them. Maybe not, some of the max kicks that she's had, maybe not the foreign medley on a Wednesday morning, but she she absolutely loves swimming, you know, and that's the thing that keeps her going and keeps her hungry to keep improving. Yeah, just just going back to the point that you mentioned about swimming is something that you can do for a lifetime. We've talked about this on other podcasts, actually, that one of the key things about master swimming is that whilst junior swimming might be all-consuming in terms of the number of hours that you do and you have more availability, you might only do that for 10 years until you become an adult, whereas master swimming you can do for 50, 60 years. So it actually is more of a proportion of your life anyway. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, definitely. I think, and also it's just, um, it's just, it's, it sets that kind of healthy habit for you. It, it sets that kind of, you know, it sets you up in the morning, you come for a swim, you've got a full day at work, you've got some business meetings and stuff. You know, it's just, it's just a nice to do. It's just to get that, that endorphin buzz. You know, you've worked really hard, you've tried really hard, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, more and more people understand the benefit of that. And the, the one biggest drawback for swimming has, has always been um, access to facilities. Whereas sure. if you're if you're a runner, you can go jog on the streets or you want to pick a ball around the park. Whereas uh, for swimming, you've always got to go somewhere. So it's actually just finding somewhere that will, that will allow you time and space to actually actually do those things, you know. 
and we were lucky when Helen approached us that we were able to accommodate Helen and say a couple of other master swimmers as well, one of whom is racing at the British Summer Championships next week. So, yeah. um, you, you know, I think it's, I think it's just about, um, yeah, making it part of your life and it can be part of your life for all of your life, you know. I agree. Well, what's it like for you, Graham, as a coach, having obviously because you, you, you essentially coach a junior club, but having these master swimmers, you know, a few, a few of these master swimmers, one of whom is literally a world record holder. What's that like for you as a coach having having that? Oh, you know, a couple of things. First of all, they're adults. So you, you speak to people as adults. So you have a really sensible conversation around swimming, about accountability, about, you know, why things aren't good, why things are good. People like Helen, she just, you know, she loves to um, get input, advice, technical advice. She likes feedback. They want to listen. They want to improve. They um, have the self-awareness to be able to make those changes as well. So in some ways, it's actually, it's great coaching adults because because of all those positive things, you know. And and also, I think, for me, it's nice because, you know, you're helping someone push themselves, push boundaries, really. She's pushing a boundary in the sport where no no other woman her age has has swum those times in the world, you know. And I think that's actually really exciting. And we're always super proud of, of, of what any of them achieve, just because I think it's really nice for me to see people wanting to put themselves on the line wanting to challenge themselves and doing the best they can to make that happen you know and I, that's that's exciting for me no i completely agree i'm not going to ask you to kind of rank helen in terms of all the swimmers that you've had but i guess you must sit quite high up on the list of people whenever you think oh, of look, all the swimmers you've had yeah i mean i mean i mean i mean definitely I, I, it's like all those things if, if you ask any swimming coach who their favorite swimmers are people say you shouldn't have favorites well your favorites are those who turn up all the time those who bring that positive enthusiasm to training, those that commit themselves to the programme, those that are ultimately coachable by listening, receiving your advice. And sometimes that's very honest advice and that might not always be comfortable. You, you know, you say to her, like a couple of times I said to Helen about just trying to keep a stroke of it long on the front end, she's trying too hard to, to generate pace. And you can say to her, like, like strip it back, slow it down. That's, you know, that that's not good enough sort of thing. And, you know, she's like, hang on a second, I'm a grown up, but like, but that's what that's what she wants from me. She wants that honest advice, something that's going to help them move forward. You know, so you know, people like that, swimmers like that, are always my favourites. That's why Helen will always be one of my favourite swimmers because she just tries. You know, one hundred and ten percent every time she comes in. She 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 will always add something to the program. I think people have asked me in the past. You know, how do you balance having a couple of adults in with with sometimes twelve, thirteen year olds? You know, you know. But for, for me, it's like. You don't look at what they can't do. I don't look at the fact that Helen can't make nine sessions a week and come up a four in the afternoon every single day. It's like you say to yourself, on a session-by-session basis, what does Helen add to that program? She adds that maturity. She adds that positivity. She adds that work ethic. She adds that bit where at the back end of the set, she's got a couple of breaststrokes alongside. She's going, come on, girls, we've got this. Come on, push up hard now. Let's really give that something, you know. And and you, and you can't you can't pay money for that. You know, normally as a, as a coach, you're the only one motivating quite often a group of very truculent teenagers, you know, but you've got somebody in the pool going, come on, guys, we've got this. Push on now. Stop whinging. Get on with it sort of thing. And I think, you know, I, I think that they're, they're super people to have and, and they are role models, you know. And quite often <clears throat> for some of the teenagers, it's a little bit like it's another adult to talk about swimming. So rather than they can't talk to mum and dad because that's mum and dad and, you know, what do mum and dad know? Yeah. You don't want to talk to the coach because, oh, the coach will have a go at me sort of thing. So, but I'll speak to Helen, you know, how did you find studying? How did you find studying and swimming? You know, what what, what do you find helps you on uh, the end of a 200 breaststroke, et cetera, et cetera. So 
it's really nice having them in the pool for the teenagers to actually engage with them and you know and, and make them part of their, of their swimming education as well that sounds great and just final question one thing that must be so nice for you is that whilst she's a, literally a world record holder I'm sure you, as a coach, you can find things for her to improve on. So that must be a lovely feeling knowing that you're helping to improve the fastest person in the world at that show. Oh, oh look, definitely. I think it's like, it's more like a, what I'd call like a, like a combined journey. It's, it's between the two of you trying to find ways to, for her to get faster. It's like, you, you know, coming up with different things, challenging different things. And Helen's always been one who will, it doesn't matter what you put in front of her. You could say to Helen, you've got, you, you know, I don't know, a thousand meters straight backstroke. She won't question it. She'll just do it. She'll just be like, yeah. okay, you think that's going to make me better? That's what I'll do. And, it, you know, obviously we do tailor things to uh, what she wants, but quite often she's in a she's in a training environment, which is a medley-based program. So she gets to do the same as a kid, you know, and she just gets pushed the same way. So, and there's no allowances given for for age or the fact she had a really full day at work or she's, you know, got up at half three in the morning, flown somewhere, come back. It's like, you're here to train, you're here to train. Absolutely. So, you, you know, and I think also Helen appreciates that. So final, final question. Can she get faster? Oh, yeah, def- absolutely, definitely. Absolutely, definitely. As long as, as, long as she wants to and she, you know, she works real hard, there's, there's things she can improve on, there's things she can add in, there's things we can work on next year. But, you know, and I think for me, the most important thing is, is that she really wants that. And while she wants that, the, you know, there's always, there's always opportunities to get better and faster. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, Graham. I really appreciate uh, chatting to you. It was, really, it was really good. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening to the Masters Swimming Podcast. To never miss an episode, please hit subscribe and do tell your friends and spread the word. I'll be back next week with episode five. See you then.